0: Psalm 45, to the choir master, according to Lilies, a mascal of the sons of Korah. A love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. We thank God for the beauty of his holy word. We're going to sing. Well, please do turn back to Psalm 45. Have that open in front of you in some way, however uh, you would like to have that. It will help you as we look at it together. Here's the main thing I want to say about Psalm 45 as we begin. This might be a surprise, but I think you'll agree when I tell you this, explain it to you. Psalm 45 is a marriage song that seems to get it wrong. Psalm 45 is a marriage song that seems to get something really big quite wrong. And you will know as well as I do that marriages, weddings, wedding services are places where of all places you do not want to get it wrong. A couple of years ago I preached at a wedding on 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. And when I read the passage and preached on it after the service the, the father of the groom told me how relieved I was that I read 1 John 4:18 not John 4:18. He had been at a wedding recently where the person was meant to read 1 John 4 instead they stood up and read John 4:18 which says you have had five husbands (laughs) and the one you have now is not your husband. I don't know how you recover from that at a wedding. Maybe it's it's a shock to you to have me say to you this about Psalm 45 seeming to get it wrong. There is so much that seems right, isn't there? Of course, in the Psalm, there's the groom, the king. There he is in verse 9 in all his splendor. Uh, the, the king, throughout, sorry, verse nine at, in verse 9, at his right hand is the queen. The king is there all the way through. The queen is at his right hand in verse 9. Verse 10, she's about to leave her people and her father's house. And in verses 14 to 15, there she is with her bridal procession being led to the king for the marriage ceremony. Surely there's nothing wrong in this psalm, is there? It is a wedding day love song. But what does the poet surprise us with here in this song? Who is in the spotlight? The groom. Not the bride, the groom. On occasion, I've been to a wedding without my wife. Not many occasions, but I have had to go to some weddings without my wife. And the big question when you get home, of course, is, is what was her dress like? And I have learned to say something like, I don't know, white Uh, is not an acceptable answer to the question. That kind of attention to the bride in our culture is unforgivable, isn't it? For in our culture, it is her big day. And in our culture, so much attention revolves around the bride. Not so here with this wedding song. Not so here. Look how it works In verse 2, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. You, O king, you, the groom, you are the most handsome of men. It is a direct address to his majesty. And then in verse 10, there is the address to the bride. Nine verses describing the groom. Now make no mistake, friends, this psalm does not demean the bride in any way, shape, or form, does it? Of course it doesn't. Verse 13, look at it. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. But she is addressed and told to do something. and She is told what the king thinks of her. All the attention is on this man, this spectacular royal man. I want to show you four things in this psalm as we look at it together. I want to show you the beauty of his words. Here's the reasons why all all the spotlight is on him. Four things. The beauty of his words, number one. Number two, the beauty of his war. Number three, the beauty of his rule. Number four, the beauty of his bride. His words, his war, his rule, his bride. It seems like, looking at it, it seems like this was a wedding song for an actual king in David's line. We don't know who it was for. And in fact, I think that is significant that we don't know who it is for. Because I want us to see this evening that the the poet here is describing a king. Maybe, yes, a king in front of him, but a king who is larger than life. A king who is greater than the sum of all his parts and more spectacular than any one king could ever have been. This is a psalm pulsating with longing. Longing for a larger-than-life king. Some of you have heard me talk before about an essay by C.S. Lewis. He's got a beautiful essay called The Weight of Glory. And here's what C.S. Lewis says in that essay. He says, "We, We are made for heaven. We we are made for glory, and therefore, because that's what we're made for, we have inside all of us a deep desire for heaven and for glory. We have have a longing for it. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. The books that we read or the music that we listen to, in which we thought beauty was located, will betray us if we trust it to them, if we trust them. For beauty was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through those things was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. For they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not yet heard, news from a far country we have not yet visited. It's a beautiful description. Anytime you hear a sound, you smell a scent, you have a memory, a a flashback to something in your past that just feels so sweet. Something connects with you in some deep way. C.S. Lewis says that is your longing for glory just breaking through. Like the light coming through that window down to the front this evening. The greatest experiences you have in life are that future glory just breaking through. In the best feelings we ever have for somebody else. Think about your greatest feelings of love or your your, your greatest feelings of love for somewhere else. What you're experiencing, C.S. Lewis says, you're experiencing a longing for the best person you have not yet met. And in your longing for a place, you're experiencing a longing for the greatest of places you have not yet been to. My reason for starting with all of this this evening on Psalm 45 is because there are few places in the Bible that express this sense of longing like Psalm 45. That's because there are few events in life, I think, there are few events that express that kind of longing like royal events. Do you remember Gary Barlow and the Commonwealth Band at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee? Gary Barlow may not be your cup of tea uh, this evening, I know, but he wrote this song called Sing for Her Majesty the Queen on the occasion of her Diamond Jubilee. Do you remember the opening words? He said, this, Some words can't be spoken, only sung. So hear a thousand voices shouting loud. There's a place, there's a time in this life when you sing what you are feeling. That that, that song is an attempt to say that something so special is happening in this moment in our national history. Here in front of us, something in front of our eyes so special that only lavish praise will do, only overflowing emotion will do. It's the kind of longing that you have when you come so close to amazing beauty. So it was there in that opening psalm, wasn't I could see it in many of your faces. The connection to the beauty of the words and the beauty of the person. There is, there is an amazing longing here for perfection. Four beautiful things in this man. Number one, the beauty of his words. The beauty of his words. You see that in verse 2. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. See, to, to say that grace has been, has been poured on his lips, anointed with grace, it's not, a, it's not a physical description of what his lips look like. It's a reference to what his words sound like. That this king is a man whose lips drip with grace. Here is a king, a lord, somebody up high whose words do not crush the people beneath him, but rather bestow honor and favor and freedom on those who hear him. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen greatness and humility combined? It's a beautiful sight. It's a superstar footballer, isn't it, who stops and says, Hello, I saw a video of that just this week. Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was playing for Juventus, In Italy, the the team file out and there's a whole whole little army of school children. They're standing in front of the team. Not not the mascots who get to walk onto the pitch. There's another group of children. The whole team files past and one man stops and it's the one they were all waiting for, Cristiano Ronaldo. He stops and shakes each of their hands and lets one little boy do his famous gold celebration in front of him. Then he does it with him and shares in it. And I mean, can you imagine the joy on that little boy's face? Still smiling, I imagine, today. Grace and humility with greatness side by side. It is a truly beautiful thing. Beautiful words and a beautiful posture. Now, just ask yourself, which world leader has that? Which world leader fits the bill? Is it King David here or Solomon? What kind of king ever combined excellent speech with complete humility in recognizing that all the words that he spoke were given to him by God? You see that? It's, it's passive graces poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. I'm not sure any of Israel's kings ever really came close to this, no matter how great they were, how great David was, how great Solomon was. This king has beautiful words. Number two, this king has beautiful war. Beautiful war. We don't think of war as a beautiful thing, do we? Quite rightly. Think of Ukraine at the minute, the images you've had to see or tried to avoid. As the war has gone on, war is a living hell for the men and women who experience it firsthand, isn't it? I I think that's been the case from the dawn of time right through to our modern technological wars. War is hell on earth. And yet, friends, have you noticed that even in our day and age, kings and princes, when they marry, what do they marry in? Military uniforms. Kings and princes marry in military uniform. War and wedding are combined in one day. Isn't that an astonishing thing? War and wedding combined in one day. Defense of the realm, service to the queen and country is combined with a continuation of the royal line. There is a country to defend and protect. There is a border to protect. And part of the protection of the empire is the expansion of the royal house the continuation of the royal line. This king's war here in, in Psalm 45, it is, it is both of those things. Notice it is war and wedding combined. This king's war here begins in verse 3. You see the language? Gird your, your, your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. But this king's war, friends, will never ever be embroiled in anything that makes it unjust or unfair. Look at the description of his military might, his sword at his side. What else? He's clothed with splendor and majesty. He is a beautiful warrior, isn't he? Riding forth and all his enemies fall beneath his feet, destroyed by the sharpness of his arrows. If you are God's king and if your enemies are God's enemies, then your war is a beautiful war. Do you know why? Because you are destroying only what God wants to be destroyed. You're acting on God's behalf, aren't you? You're you're removing from the earth all the things that need to be purged and removed from it. I've said this many times over the years. I grew up in a Christian tradition where the idea was that the world was bad and evil. So at the end of time, Christian people were going to be raptured from the earth, pulled up out of the earth, removed from it and taken up to a perfect heaven. Of course, in the Bible, as the story of the Bible unfolds, it's the opposite, isn't it? With Noah's flood, who is removed from the earth? The wicked, the unrighteous. At the end of time, the earth will be purged and given back to God's people as the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth. It is everything that is wrong and wicked and twisted in this world that will be fixed and sorted out. there's, There's nothing intrinsically wrong with creation. Creation is good and beautiful. This king rides out to war to restore what sin and evil have destroyed. The beauty of his words, the beauty of his war. Look what gets added to this number three, the beauty of his rule. The reason why this king's words are beautiful and why his war is beautiful is because of the beauty of his character, isn't it? Look at him in verse 4. He is morally upright. He rides out victoriously in in majesty. For the cause of what? For the cause of the power that he needs to hold on to, come what may. No, for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Righteousness. Verse 7, he has a scepter of justice that rules his kingdom. He loves righteousness. He doesn't just do righteous things. He loves righteousness. And he hates wickedness and he is anointed with joy. Oh, he is a beautiful king. But he is not a soft king. He is a military king, but he is not an oppressive king. He is a just king, but he is not a proud king. Who is the poet talking about? Is he describing the real flesh and blood man who was in front of him at the time? Well, yes, I think he was in measure, but he was doing so much more, wasn't he? He was looking through this specimen in front of him, looking at this one king, but speaking about kingship as an ideal, the most perfect form of it, and he is longing for that. See, just think about it. If you can remember all... all, all the years back now to when Prince William and Kate Middleton got married, I think you saw this much more strongly uh, in William and Kate's uh, wedding ceremony than you did with Harry and Meghan's ceremony. That, that day when Prince William and Kate Middleton got married, I, and, and I know some of us are Republican, anti monarchist people, which is fine, of course. I would think you would have to be the staunchest Republican, the staunchest anti monarchist not to have been profoundly moved by those scenes as the car arrived and Kate Middleton processed, processed up the aisle to that music. The music and the sheer drama and the sense of occasion was stunning, wasn't it? Whatever your view of the royal family, billions of people around the world watched enthralled in that moment. Why? Why? Okay, forget politics. Forget your view of the British Empire. Forget your view of, of royalty. Why did the world watch? The answer is longing. Longing. Something in that royal wedding spoke to our deepest longing for the best of kings. For the best of happy endings. We longed for fairytale perfection which in the deepest part of our hearts is what we long for the most, friends, we would love it. We would absolutely love it if somewhere in the world it really was true that the most excellent of men was wed to the most beautiful of women. Because, well, according to C.S. Lewis, that kind of happiness... He's one of the greatest happinesses we can know on earth. And through that happiness comes a longing for ultimate perfection. I think that's what happens here to this psalmist. Verse 1, look, his heart is overflowing. He's addressing his verses to the king. He sits to write and his worship of this king, if you like, and his rule, as he writes, it becomes an expression of his longing for the perfect king for a perfect rule, for an eternal sphere where everything is majestic and truthful and righteous and powerful. Where everything evil and wicked and sinful and death deserving is destroyed forever. Psalm 45, the poet is, I think he is imagining the human king and the divine king becoming so closely aligned that it's as if they are the same person as if they become the same person. Do you see it in, in, in verse 6? Your throne. He's speaking to the king. Your throne, O oh God, is forever. It's an astonishing thing to say. He's become so caught up in imagining this king would be perfect. Talking to the human king but saying, Your throne, O oh God, is forever. You are so much the most excellent of kings that when I address you directly, it is like addressing God Himself. So much are you like Him and the same as Him in the words that you speak and the war that you fight and the rule that you exercise. You are so like Him that your rule will continue forever and ever. This is poetic longing for the perfect King. Longing for the divine and the human to somehow come together in one person. Friends, many of you will know that that is why the letter to the Hebrews The letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament says that that verse in verse 6 has to be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 is actually God Himself speaking to His Son and saying to the Lord Jesus, Your throne, O God, You are God and You are King and Your throne will last forever. The Lord Jesus is this perfect king, isn't he? Isn't that a beautiful ending to the version of the psalm that we sang right at the end? Our hearts were thrilled to say it together. Oh, Jesus, we adore you. This king is named. Jesus, we adore you, our lover and our king. And so let me finish with this. Number four, this king, the Lord Jesus, has a beautiful bride. He has a beautiful bride. Look at the way the beauty of the bride is described in verse 9. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. It's what happens at royal weddings, isn't it? It's not just any, anybody gets to be a bridesmaid or ladies of honor, but it's royalty comes flocking. They're all there dressed in their splendor beside her. And at your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. See, the significant point here is that the gold of Ophir, I don't know what the equivalent would be today, it's the very best you could get. This is absolute A-list materials. It was gold that would have been given to her by the king. She's arrayed in a beauty given to her by the king himself. And what she's told to do is leave everything behind and give herself completely to this man. So striking, isn't it? Forget your people, and your Father's house. It doesn't mean literally, of course, never have anything more to do with them. It just means today you embark on a new relationship. You have a new allegiance now, and a new man to love and live with. What do you think of verses 13 to 15, isn't it? Isn't it a stunning picture? It's it's the equivalent of Kate Middleton leaving that plush hotel in London and arriving at Westminster Abbey and being prepared with her bridesmaids and flower girls at the back and then walking up the aisle, verse 16, the camera switches away from her and back to the king and the poet speaks to him again, verse 16, addressed to the king, what is about to happen here today, my Lord, means your eternal fame is guaranteed. Here is a royal wedding where a bride is made beautiful by her husband and where all the focus is on the fact that to belong to him is the greatest of honors, the most wonderful of privileges. Yes, the bride is beautiful, but it's who she is marrying that counts, isn't it? It's who she's giving herself to that really matters. And so for us, you see, friends, because the rest of the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of this king, of all that this kind of kingship promises, that means that's what the rest of the Bible applies the bride imagery to people who belong to Jesus. That's why the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. We're going to look at it next Sunday morning in Ephesians together. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What did He do to make her holy? Cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. And to do what? To present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Holy and blameless. I was thinking about this as I looked at this passage. Do you, do, you, do you know why we love celebrities? Well, some of us do. I love celebrities. Maybe you don't love them. Um, but I love celebrities. I once followed Colin Firth down a road in London. I can, tell you, I, can, I can tell you about that sometime until I discovered the only other people were a group of women following him down the road. Um, where, where we used to live in London, I used to see England rugby players, the England rugby team all around, sitting, having coffee. And I, I just used to stop and stare at them. Whether that's you or not, do you know why why we're attracted to people like that? Maybe you don't have my extreme problem, but do do you know what it is? Do you know why we follow them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever? There's a reason for it. The psychologists tell us it's called reflected glory. If we can get close to them and somehow be around them and say that they're our friend, if we can come into their warm glow of their perfect life, what is theirs will shine their beautiful light on what is mine. My dull, ordinary, average life, but their life bathed in wonder and perfection. Perfection i can be close to them if i can see them the world seems more magical it's what people do isn't it try to touch them screaming because that person exists boy if if they knew i existed if i was friends with david beckham or prince harry or ewan mcgregor or whoever it is take your pick imagine being invited to their wedding being at their table being their friend Imagine what life would be like to have that glory shone into my life. Brothers and sisters, this evening, Psalm 45 says, God takes not just dull, ordinary, average people like you and me, but sinful, outcast, rebellious people like you and me. Takes people like you and me and joins us to the greatest king the world has ever seen. This king is beautiful from top to toe his words are beautiful his sword is beautiful his rule is perfect and he takes all of that and he shines the beauty of who he is on us just gives it to us draws us into the glow of his beauty lets us bask in who he is he marries us to him i want to say to you this evening as we come to the Lord's table and as we eat and drink together in a moment, it does not matter what you look like on the outside. It does not matter what you feel like on the inside. In the Lord Jesus, God has embarked on a project that He began before the world began and which one day He will complete in eternity future, which is to take you and me and to make us holy and to make us blameless and perfect by joining us to His perfect Son, our King. And so, friends, I want to invite, invite you, I'll say a bit more again in a moment, I want to invite you to come and eat, to come and eat from the Lord's table, this King's table. For what we are about to eat is a foretaste, not just of an ordinary meal, but of a wedding banquet, the wedding banquet of the King. Amen.